And John makes that statement that uh, by this all men will know that we're his disciples because we love one another. And uh, it's so important that is displayed in our, in our lives. We've been talking about the 2018 challenge. What is it that we might do this year? What is it that we might commit to this year that would help us to grow spiritually, that would help us to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ? And the first week we talked about the importance of accountability, having that accountability partner, that individual that would uh, hold us accountable for our prayer, for our time in the Word, for our relationships with others, uh, our relationships in our homes. And I, I think that's so important that we be able to do that. That's one of those evidences of our love when we can actually hold one another accountable. Uh, the second thing had to do last week with the study of the Word. And we just talked about the importance of regular study of the Word, whether you're reading the Psalms and the Proverbs and those passages we're going to be looking at this year, or whether you have a study of your own. Maybe you're in another study or with another group of people, or maybe you've just decided to study through a book of the Old or New Testament and, uh, and the importance of that. Boy, we need to understand that the Bible is what makes a difference in our lives. And we're going to see that today as we talk a little bit about the idea of prayer, faithful, regular prayer. And I think that is so important as Christians that we set time aside every day to talk to God. Our best friends, we probably text or we talk to almost every day, if not every day. And yet it's so much more important that we spend the time with the Lord. And so I really encourage you to, uh, to think about the idea of prayer, regular prayer, setting that time aside. The Bible says that we are to go into our inner room in the house, get away from everybody else, get away from all distractions, turn off the TV, uh, put your phone on mute, whatever you have to do, and get away with God. And the amazing thing to me is that, uh, boy, one of the greatest privileges we have is to communicate with God. Uh, the amazing thing to me is he's always there. It doesn't matter what's going on, what else is taking place. If you need to talk to the Lord, he's there. If, if we're going to see a dignitary here on earth, somebody that's considered important, I mean, whoever it might be. I mean, you can start with a king or a queen or a prince, or you can go to a president or a vice president or somebody in the house or the, or the senate. Uh, maybe your governor, I, I don't know how you feel about all these people, but maybe you say, I'm going to have an appointment with them. You're going to meet with them or down even to our mayor or somebody on city council. You know what you have to do? You have to call and make an appointment. I had to call and make an appointment the other day to get my car lubed and oiled, you know, just to get it taken care of. I called them up and said, I, I'd like to bring my truck in. And they said, oh, well, how about next Wednesday? I thought, that's a week away. I've got to make that kind of appointment. And, and we go to people, and sometimes uh, we have to wait to talk to people. Uh, you never have to wait with God. He's never busy. I, I don't know how many of you have called somebody, and they say, uh, well, I'll pass you through to whoever it is, and this music comes on that you hate, and it just keeps playing and playing and playing and playing. And sometimes you'll be on waiting for 20, 30, 40 minutes. Maybe you hang up before then, but, uh, you know, you want to get through to these people that are important. God never does that. 
you pass right through. It, it's not a problem. There's not a situation where you get on there and it's busy and said, uh, we'll leave a message. Or the message box is full. You ever seen this one? Somebody rings the phone and, and you're talking to them. They pick up the phone and they go, oh, I don't want to talk to them right now. And they push that little button and they put it on quiet. You know, they just close it off. I, I watch people do that, and I wonder how many times they do that with me. It kind of worries me a little bit when I see that. God never does that. God never does that. I, I read one definition of prayer, and there's a lot of different ideas, and some of them are heavier than others, but I like this one because it was easy for me. Prayer is talking to God. We don't have to make it any harder than that. Sometimes we try and add a lot to it, but that's it. You don't have to be an expert in prayer to pray in public. You don't have to have logged 2,000 hours before they let you pray in church. Uh, you just come before the Lord and, and you talk to him. And, uh, you know, without prayer, our spiritual life doesn't go very far. It's kind of like eating and breathing. I, I think eating is kind of like taking in the word of God and breathing has to do with my prayer and, and exhaling to him. And, and if I don't do those things physically, I don't live. Well, what God wants from us is, is not just Bible reading over here and prayer over here. God wants us to communicate with him. And it's a two-way street. God speaks to us through the word of God. We talked about that last week. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. We really don't understand it without uh, the Holy Spirit being in our lives and giving direction. And God wants us to respond back. It's a communication process. And you know when you communicate, you respond to what the person is saying. Now, I don't know if you've been in a situation with your spouse or somebody else, or maybe you've watched it where people are talking, but they aren't really communicating. You know, it's kind of like uh, the husband gets home, maybe he's been at work, the wife's there, she's said, hey, Gladys just called and such and such is really ill and it's really hard and boy, I had trouble with the kids and husband says, that's nice, or, or he may say, that's too bad. But then he says, oh, and did you buy my tools? You see, he's not with her at all in the communication process. And that's kind of how we are with God in prayer and the study of the Word. We read the Word. We go, oh, wow, that's great. And then we turn around and we begin to pray about something totally different that has nothing to do with what God just told us. And so if we're going to have communication. We need to go back and we need to say, okay, what is, what is God talking about here? And, and then we pray back oftentimes the things that he has given to us. Now, does that mean I can't bring my request to him? No, because the Bible says we can do that. In fact, it says we should do that. But we should understand who we're praying to. And we should understand that if he's, if he's spoken to us here, then we need to respond here. It's just a, a natural response to be able to come back to God in prayer. And I want to look at that this morning. If you have your Bibles, there's a great example of a, a great prayer in Daniel chapter, chapter 9. Turn to Daniel 9, and we're just going to look at... Uh, Oh, probably down through about verse 20 or 19 this morning. And so if you have it, I, I want you to follow along. Now, Daniel was carried off into captivity about 605 B.C. That's 605 years before Jesus Christ and uh, was here on the earth. And he was carried into Babylon. Uh, they'd come in, the Babylonians. They had defeated the land of Judea. And they'd carried these 
young men away who were part of the elite of that culture in that day. And Daniel was carried away. Uh, what was it, 586, I believe, that they went in and uh, destroyed Jerusalem. And they carried everybody else off, too. And so the people of Israel, the people of Judea, loved their land. This was the land that God had given to them. Uh, but sadly, they had failed in their relationship with God. And so the Bible said it wasn't really an accident that they were exiled. This was a judgment that God brought about uh, during that time. And so the Babylonians, God used them. They invaded Judea. They carried away the inhabitants. And uh, all the hope was not lost, though, because, you see, God had promised them that land, and it was there. It's interesting because the prophet Jeremiah... And Daniel was reading the works of Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah had said that they would be in exile for 70 years. Daniel read it. He understood that the time was coming up. In fact, let me just read a couple of passages for you. Uh, you don't need to turn to those right now. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, in 20 verses 20 and 21, 2 Chronicles 6, 20 and 21, it says, those who escaped from the sword, in other words, when the Babylonians came in, those who were still alive, he carried away, the king of Babylon carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. So when the Medo-Persians came in, and you don't need to worry too much about the history, but when they came in and took over from the Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians sent the people back to their land. It was 70 years. God prophesied this. He, he did it through Jeremiah. Verse 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the end of the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until 70 years was complete. If you go over to uh, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, and in the uh, 25th, chapter of Jeremiah. Again, we read concerning this prophecy in the 25th and the 29th, verses, or 29th chapter, but in chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, it says, a whole land is a desolation and a horror, and those nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. It goes back to Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10. Well, I'm not going to read all of it, but beginning in verse 10, it says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years has been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. And so... What happened was Jeremiah was reading the, or, or Daniel was reading the works of Jeremiah, and he began to realize, hey, it's time. God's going to bring us back. Do you know why they were there 70 years? It says because they hadn't kept the Sabbaths. According to the law, every seven years, the nation of Israel was to allow the land to go fallow. They were to give the land time to replenish itself, and Yet they didn't do that. So apparently they'd gone about 490 years because if they were there 70 years, that means that there was that much time that needed to be there to replenish the land. And that's why they were there, and that's, that's what took place. So Daniel began to pray according to what he had read. So let's go back to Daniel 9. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Midian descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. Now he had taken over from the Babylonians in the first year of the reign 
I, Daniel, observed the books, the numbers of the years which were revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely those 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him in prayer and supplications and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And so what Daniel says, wow, God says it's going to happen. God tells us it's going to happen. Something's going to happen in here. We need to be aware of that. We need to be ready for it. And, and then Daniel began to pray. Now, I'll tell you what. Daniel was a man of prayer. He loved to pray. He loved to talk to God. He would go three times a day up to his upper room. He would face towards Jerusalem, and he would pray. In fact, he loved to pray so much that he was even willing to go into a lion's den. And I, I don't know how much you love to pray, but that's where Daniel was. He says, well, if that's what it takes, I'll, I'll go in the lion's den because there was a law passed that if anybody was praying to any god other than to the king, they were going to get thrown in the lion's den. And that's where Daniel went for a night. I remember reading that, and the king came down, and he, he checked in the morning because he loved Daniel. And, and this was something that those who were uh, jealous of Daniel had brought about. And, and he went down to the lion's den. He looked down there. He says, Daniel, are you okay? And Daniel said, oh, yeah, my God. He shut up the mouths of the lion. I'm fine. I just need to get back up to the room and start praying probably uh, because he realized that it was God who protected him and God who met his needs. Now, I want to give you three things, and then I'm going to give you a fourth things that evidence that should be part of our prayer life. And I think sometimes what we do is we just hop down, we say, Lord, this is what I need, take care of this and this and this, and we need the finances taken care of and work out the marriage, and we do all of those things instead of stopping to realize who we're talking to and giving honor to God. Now, listen to what Daniel said in this fourth verse, because this is where the prayer really starts. He said, I prayed to the Lord my God, and I confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and the awesome God. And, it, and it's just Daniel begins to reflect on who God is. If you were to go into the place of a dignitary, you would come in with some respect. If you owed respect, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's some political leader. But you go in there, you're going to respect him. You're going to show that respect. And, and that's where Daniel was as he came into the presence of the Lord. He, he talked about Great and the awesome God. That awesome, that word awesome carries with it the idea of fear or reverence. He is to be revered. He isn't just taken lightly. This is a God who keeps his covenant. And loving kindness is for those who love him and keep his commandments. So when he begins to talk about God, he reminds him of the fact that you're faithful. You've got a covenant. You've got a, a promise. You made the fact that that we're going to return after 70 years, and I believe that's going to happen because you're faithful and, and you're merciful. And you've seen where we are and you've seen what we're going through. And so when I began to think about prayer, I began to think about the idea that we need to take time to reverence and honor God. We need to take time to praise God. And if you're taking notes, that's probably just what you want to start prayer with is praise. Uh, take time to reflect on who he is. When you're going through the Bible, take some time to think about what, is it, what does this scripture tell me about God? What, what do I learn here about God? If you were to go back through the passages that we've just been reading in Psalms, in Psalms chapter 3, verse 3, it says, And you, O Lord, 
are a shield about me. You're my glory, the one who lifts my head. You protect me. You take care of me. It goes down to verse 5. It says, I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. How many people have trouble sleeping? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand right now. But I think across America, there are so many people going out, looking for somebody to uh, ease their anxieties and all the struggles they have. And, and what the Bible says is we need to be coming back to the Lord and we need to be focusing on Him. Down in verse 8 of chapter 4, it says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. God grants peace when we rely on Him. But if we don't take time to reflect on who He is, we don't recognize that. We get caught up with everything going on around us and all the problems that we're having and we don't realize that God is the one who's a shield about me. We don't realize God is the one who gives me peace. If you go over to chapter 5, verse 4, it says, You're a God, you're not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells in you. And all of a sudden I realize here is a righteous God who, who doesn't ever do anything that's wrong. He is he, He's free of any sin or any wickedness. It's part not part of who God is. If you go to chapter 8 of our passage, that we, the passages we've been reading, and, and you come to chapter 8, and it says in uh, verse 1, Oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You displayed your he- splendor above the heavens, and then it goes down in verse 9 and makes that statement again. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 3, it says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, not your hands, your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, you place them in their, in their positions in the heavens. Over in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. In you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And you get the idea that when you read through these psalms, one of the best things that you can do is take a little pencil or pen and underline everything you learn about God. What do you pick up in terms of how he protects you, how he takes care of you, how he loves you, how he is powerful, how he created the heavens? You get into chapter 19 of the psalms this week and you're going to learn about the creation as as being an evidence of the presence of God. And you go back and you study the creation, you just go, man, that's amazing. But our prayer starts with praise. We need to think about that. The next thing that we see is that Daniel began to focus on the things that they had done as a nation. Why were they in the circumstance they were in? And sometimes we say, God, relieve me, get me out of this situation. And we don't stop to say, what have I done? Why am I here? Is is God allowed this for a reason in my life? Now, Just because we go through problems doesn't mean we've sinned. But sometimes it's there because that's what happened with the nation of Judea. They had sinned. They had not kept the Sabbath. They had not honored God in their lives. They needed to repent. There needed to be a change. We go back to Daniel chapter 9 again. and In the fourth verse or the fifth verse it says we've sinned. There's where it is. We've sinned. And, And I like it because... Daniel doesn't stop and say, oh, my forefathers sinned. Boy, they messed up. They just really didn't get it together. He took responsibility. He says, I'm part of this. We need to be responsible. 
It says we've sinned, we've committed iniquity, we've acted wickedly, and we've rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and your ordinances. Moreover, we've not listened to your servants, your prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, all of the people. We just didn't listen to what you had to say, God. Oh, righteousness belongs to you, O Lord. But to us, open shame. As it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are away in all the countries to which you've driven them because of their unfaithful deed which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness. Oh, I'm so thankful we can say that. That in spite of what we do or how we've lived, there's compassion, there's forgiveness with our God. We have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he set before us through the servants of our prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which was written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring about this great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what's been done in Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of God or the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, as a result of the fact that we haven't followed God, we haven't followed his rules, we haven't followed what he taught us, therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all of these deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now the Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it is today, we have sinned, we have been wicked. And I would say the second thing we need to do is we need to recognize our sins. We need to recognize our failings. It's, it's the whole idea of repentance. Now, I, I think the first thing you do when you repent, it's like taking an inventory of your life. An inventory of what you've done and saying, why am I where I am? Are there things that I have done? Are there decisions I made back here that weren't wise decisions? And how do I take care of those? Maybe sit down with a pen and paper and just begin to do an inventory. Where am I? What decisions have I made? Where am I with God today? I, I think, number one, it begins with personal admission. I look at my life and say, where am I? What's going on here? Number two is confession. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, this is prayer, if we confess our sins, God's faithful and righteous to forgive us those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I can have personal cleansing. God can cleanse me, but boy, I've got to confess my sins. And confession is more than admission. Today, it's real easy in America to say, oh yeah, I did that. We think that's confession, but confession goes beyond that. Confession goes to the idea of, you're right, God, I was wrong. I agree with you. And then repentance, that's the third point. 
when John the Baptist came, he said, repent, be baptized. Do you remember that? That was his message. Jesus came, he said, repent. Peter, in his first message, says, repent from your sins. It means to turn and go the other way. And we've talked about that before. It's a change of mind. It's a transformation in terms of who I am. Uh, not the same person I was. Because, you see, if we don't do that, sin separates us from God. Back in Isaiah... Isaiah, the 59th chapter, the second verse. It says, but your iniquities, your sins have made separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so he does not hear. So that sin continues on. I'm out of fellowship with God. If I do something to some of you or you do something to me, do you know what? It breaks fellowship, doesn't it? We're still members of the same church but we're not getting along and we're not sharing and we're not talking and we're not communicating. Same thing happens within our family. It happens. And so there has to be a repentance. There has to be a change of heart, a change of mind. Those verses that, that we, uh, that I look at periodically, I come back to whatever I do, I do for the glory of God and repentance. It says in, in uh, Romans chapter 12, It says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Here I am. I commit myself to you, God, in all of my being, that I might prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then it says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you have to stop and say, am I living according to the standards of the world or according to the standards of the word? Which one is the priority in my life? And how do I know that? Do I need to change? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Lay aside every encumbrance, anything that gets in the way of your walk with God. And that sin that so easily tangles you up, wraps itself around you and pulls you down. And so the second thing in our prayer life, and you may not do this every time you go to prayer, but it certainly should be part, is that whole idea of confession and repentance. So I start out with praise, and then I come to the idea of of repentance. And the third one, when we look at Daniel, is that he began to pray, and now he brings his request to God. And we see it in in Daniel 9, beginning in the 16th through the 19th verse. He says, and now, O Lord, now that I've admitted our failings, the fact we failed, and, and we know that you're going to bring us back into the land after 70 years, now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made the name for yourself. As to this day, we have sinned. We've been wicked. O Lord, in spite of that, in accordance with your righteous acts, in accordance with your righteousness, because God can do no wrong, that's really what the idea is there, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. It's your city. Your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. Listen to my request, God. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on the desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and heart. Open your ears and see our desolations, which the city 
uh, and the city which is called by your name. It's, it's, it's your place for worship. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merit of our own. It's not about us, Father, but on account of your great compassion. There he is. He's looking at God again, the attributes of God and how special they are. And he says, oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen. Number one, listen to what we're saying. Take action for your own sake. Oh, my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. And so he brought his request and his request that God might be glorified through all of this. It wasn't just about him. It was that God would be glorified. And God answered immediately, and you would expect that. In verse 20, it says, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplications, I did all of those things before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God while I was still speaking in prayer. Then the man Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering, and he answered, and he gave me instruction and talked to me, and he said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to you to give insight and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, when you begin to ask, the command was issued. You know when God answers our prayer? Immediately. We not, may not experience that way, but God does that. And so when we pray, God hears and God responds. And then he went on and he told Daniel about what history was going to be like, what the future would be like. He talked about what we know as the 70 years of Daniel. And that was all part of it because he says, Daniel, not only am I going to return you now to the, or the nation now to Jerusalem, but there's a future that I've got laid out. And I want you to know it all. God gives us even more than we ask for. But I think it's important we realize that you begin, you, you've got to recognize who you're talking to. There's that whole idea of, of praising God and understanding who it is it, it, that we're, we're sharing with. Number two is, is those failings that we have. We can't just continue on in those things. And then finally, you bring your request. There's one final thing, and it's not in here, but I want to bring it to you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Always be in that state where you're ready to come before the Lord. And then he said, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In everything give thanks. God desires our appreciation. Uh, you see, you begin to look at that little acrostic. We praise God. We repent. We appreciate what he's done. We give thanks. And you bring your request to him. And if you begin to think about prayer and you take that little acrostic and you put it someplace, maybe in the back of your Bible or in your sermon notes right there, it begins to give you an idea or a pattern for prayer. And if you do that this year, you're going to see that God blesses you. God hears and he responds. As a church, it's so important that we do that. That we spend time in prayer. That we read the word of God and say, what does God tell me? And then we respond. That's communication, folks. If all we do is read the Bible over here and it has nothing to do with our prayer life over here, there's no communication between us and God. We're just 
saying what we want without really listening. And so we need to take up the Bible and we need to study it and, and know who God is and then pray in accordance with that. Next week, I want to give you, uh, just as we're going through prayer, I want to give you another five aspects in terms of our prayer that, of, of what it needs to be like. We're going to talk about the idea of praying in the name of Jesus Christ and what does that mean. We're going to talk about praying sincerely and sometimes praying insincerely. You know, the Bible says uh, Jesus was talking and, he, and, and the Pharisees would go out and they would go on and on. They would pray these long prayers or prayers that they had memorized, but they weren't sincere didn't come from the heart. We need to understand the sincerity of our prayer. We're going to talk about some more things like that. But I want you to go home and just think about that idea of how to pray today. How often when I come to God do I really sit down quietly and before I do anything else reflect on who I'm praying to? Even as we come together as a group, and, and I know that we have public prayer. Uh, I think we have a tendency to say, what are the requests, and that's where we start. And that's just kind of where we are. I've, I've got to get this request out. And uh, I really believe before we ever do that, we need to be looking at our lives and taking that inventory. We need to determine where we are in terms of our relationship with God. Am I walking with God today, or is there ongoing sin in my life? The Bible says if that sin's there, then my prayer life's affected. Do you know that it says, guys, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says if your relationship isn't right with your wife, it affects your prayer life. You don't have that open relationship with God that you desire. And so we need to take care of all those things and work through them and say, how does this fit so that I can glorify God? And then finally, let me just say, because I really believe that's where Daniel was, what we pray for, what we think about, what we desire should always be, will this glorify God? Will this honor him? Is it just to honor me or somebody else? Or is it really going to honor God? Because that's what, Daniel prayed. He said, restore your city. Restore this so that your name will be honored before the people. Not just mine. That you will be glorified. So take time and think about that this week as, as you're praying. And I would encourage you on that little sheet that we have. If, if you're going to make a commitment every day, I'm going to spend some time with God. Maybe it's only five, ten minutes. But you get away. You get into that inner room. You get away from everybody else and you just spend some time with God. I'll tell you what. I believe it'll change your life this year. It'll make a difference in terms of who you are. You spend that time in the Word, you spend the time in prayer, and you make that a concerted effort, a priority in your life, and it'll change you, and it'll change me when I do that. So that's I took that little thing, and, and I said, yeah, God, I've got to do that. So right now this morning, it was uh, Psalms 14, and uh, Psalms 15 tomorrow, and and that's where we are if you're reading through the Psalms with us. And those are in your Bible. But it doesn't take long. Uh, just spend some time in it and uh, check and see what it says about who God is. I think that's important. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come this morning and, uh, you know, this probably isn't new for a lot of people. For others, it is new. But even though, Father, we know that we should uh, really come to you in, in respect and honor 
and admiration and praise. I think sometimes we're just so quick to get into the prayer or whatever our needs are or whatever's going on or what's going on with our family that we fail to show you this respect and the honor that we should. So forgive us for that, Father. Father, sometimes we have ongoing sin in our life and we think, well, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care. But yet the Bible says you do. You're concerned about us. We're your children, and, and, and you're concerned about how it's impacting our relationship with you, how it's impacting our relationship with other people. Father, forgive us when we don't let go of some of those things, those hurts, those habits, those hang-ups, all the things that we hang on to that, that affect our lives in a negative way, Father, that affect our relationship with you in a negative way. And Father, forgive us. Help us to to be aware of those things and lay them aside. And then, Father, help us to come. And as, as we ask the request, the Bible says, we're going to look at it next week, we can ask for anything. We can talk about anything. But let us be aware of the fact that some things probably honor you more than others. And if, it's, if we're selfish in our, in our asking, Father, then uh, how can we expect that you as our Heavenly Father will honor what we ask? And so, Father, help us to be aware of those things as we look at this whole idea of prayer once again tomorrow. And uh, so we just thank you, or next week. So I thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in our lives, just a transition that you're going to make in our lives, in our church, in our relationships, because you have the power to make the changes that need to be made. Thank you, Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.